In March 2020, early in the pandemic, a small group of people in Minnesota had an idea and saw an opportunity. These individuals believed that they could steal tens of millions of dollars from a federal child nutrition program by claiming to serve food to needy children when they were not. This is a Justice Department press conference that took place Tuesday in Minnesota. Before long, the scheme that began with a simple idea in March of 2020 grew to become the largest pandemic fraud in the United States. Good morning. My name is Andy Luger, and I am the United States Attorney for the District of Minnesota. I think I was surprised, but also I wasn't surprised. I mean, in the words of the Justice Department, this was a pretty brazen theft. That is Tony Rahm. He's an economics reporter, and he has been following stories about federal COVID relief money since the pandemic first started. I mean, this is $250 million taken by a nonprofit and some of the individuals connected to it, according to the DOJ. But at the same time, while it may have been shocking to see the headline of the theft, it may just be the beginning of what we're going to see over the years to come as the U.S. government keeps watch over this money. Nearly $250 million stolen from a program that gave food to needy children. As one of our producers said, it is literally stealing candy from babies. And it could be just the tip of the iceberg. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, September 21st. Today, the fraud case that is definitely going to be turned into a Netflix series. We'll hear from Tony about some of the outrageous details of how this scheme played out and how investigators are following the money to find other cases of pandemic aid fraud. So, Tony, tell me about this announcement from the Justice Department and and what did they actually say about what happened in this alleged scheme? The Justice Department basically alleges that a nonprofit located in Minnesota called Feeding Our Future was essentially the mastermind for this $250 million scheme targeting a federal program that provides free and reduced meals to children in need. And the ways that they did this are fairly complicated, but it basically comes down to this. The organizations that were working with Feeding Our Future were claiming to be delivering meals to children that simply did not exist. They were fabricating the names of these kids, according to the DOJ, and in some cases making up ages for them and faking invoices, and then using that to get reimbursements from the federal government for work that they ultimately didn't do. And at the end of the day, the federal prosecutors found that they took this money and used it to pay kickbacks and bribes, and in some cases used it for personal purchases whether it's cars in the U.S. or property abroad in countries like Kenya and Turkey. The U.S. government has brought charges against 47 individuals, including Amy Bach, who is the leader of this organization, Feeding Our Future. Bach has said in prior cases where this has come up that there has been no wrongdoing here. But the Justice Department said that it's going to pursue this vigorously, and they positioned it as the beginning of a much larger look at other organizations, not just in the food program, but across the U.S. economy that took advantage of the generous federal aid over the course of the pandemic. Have we heard from anyone else who is being accused of this or or from Feeding Our Future as an organization of, of what they say about these accusations that they stole all this money? 
We haven't heard anything officially from them. We reached out to Feeding Our Future using the number listed on their website. That number appears to be disconnected. And we reached out to the lawyer for Amy Bach, who had represented her in related litigation. That lawyer did not return our requests for comment as well. But in other stories where this has come up, because state and federal officials have been looking at this for some time, Bach has maintained her innocence. She says that the organization has, in fact, been providing these meals. And in response to some of the scrutiny, her organization actually brought a lawsuit against the state, against Minnesota and its Department of Education, which oversaw implementation of the federal program, uh, claiming that they had gone after her out of racial animus. Do we know what the Department of Justice believes was the origin of this? I mean, this this organization, Feeding Our Future, has it been around for a long time? And, and do we know that they have, in fact, been using federal money to actually feed children in the past? Or was this whole group created for the purpose of defrauding the government, at least in the eyes of the DOJ? The Justice Department says that Feeding Our Future was, in fact, providing meals to children prior to the pandemic. But it was during the pandemic when the benefits became more generous and the rules for the federal food program became more lax that this organization began to ramp up its activity. I believe they said it's about $200 million worth of work that Feeding Our Future did in the year 2021, which is a significant increase from what they were doing a year before. And again, part of why this happened, according to the DOJ, is because the government expanded program eligibility. It said that more organizations and more companies could participate in delivering some of these meals, and there were more sites where they could deliver them. Because remember, at the end of the day, with free and reduced uh, breakfast and lunch for kids, most children were getting that from their schools. Mm-hmm. But schools were closed during the pandemic. They couldn't go to class and, you know, during class, go to lunch and pick up free and reduced lunch while they were there. So the government had to get creative on how to ensure that people could actually get the food and get the help that they were promised and the help that they need. And so it was during that that we saw the creation of a series of shell companies and other entities under the watch of Feeding Our Future, which sponsored them and remitted them federal payments. And ultimately, those organizations were, in many cases, creating the names of thousands of students each week that they really weren't serving at the end of the day, according to DOJ. It's interesting because what you're describing in terms of the perspective of the government here, I remember having conversations about that at the beginning of the pandemic, that the need was so urgent for the government to help people who were struggling in so many different ways when it, you know, either when it comes to access to food or to keep struggling businesses afloat, that kind of the rules sort of went out the window, that the whole point was like, let's pump money out the door and get it to people as quickly as possible. And we can ask more questions later about the specifics of how we're doing that. And it seems like this is just one of the ways in which that approach, even though I think you can argue that it was still the right approach because it was able to help a lot of people really quickly, also ended up with all of these opportunities for fraud. Right. I mean, it's true of the entire $5 trillion approved since the start of the pandemic. And you're right. You have to remember where we were in 2020 and 2021. At the height of this, we were talking about an economic crisis that rivaled the Great Depression. We saw millions of people losing their jobs, about a million people per day at one point, and a crush of people who needed help, uh, both in the form of unemployment payments and other benefits. And, and that was aid that they had never needed before, and the government had never had to provide um, at such a level in the past. We had businesses that were closing, that were running out of money, and they needed help so that they you know, didn't 
create more of a drag on the U.S. economy at a time when it was already sputtering. And so we saw a series of aid packages passed beginning in 2020 to try to stem that bleeding. And in many cases, they worked. I mean, the U.S. economy is in a much better place than it was two years ago. And so from that perspective, it's true that the U.S. government made great strides in reversing the harm that we saw during the pandemic. But it is always the case that when you move with haste, you sometimes don't move with precision. Mm. And so we saw a number of cases where the law was a little bit unclear uh, and people took advantage of that, or the aid was given out so widely that there were people who ultimately received money that they shouldn't have. This is one of the serious signature issues that we've been looking at as part of our year-long probe, the COVID money trail, where you know a number of programs from the unemployed to money that were meant to help cities and states respond to the pandemic had been used in ways that perhaps Congress didn't intend. After the break, how the people at the center of this allegedly carried out this complicated scheme. We'll be right back. Tony, I just have to say, the details that the Department of Justice is alleging here are wild. Can you just talk a little bit more about what we've heard in terms of how the people and organizations that are tied to Feeding Our Future are alleged to have executed this scheme? There are a couple really surprising elements of all this that are laid out in the DOJ indictment that was provided this week. You know, for one thing, we saw a number of organizations tied to Feeding Our Future just straight up inventing the names and the ages of kids that they claimed to serve but ultimately didn't. In one of the more head-shaking moments, I guess you could say, uh, one of the groups was using a website quite literally called listofrandomnames.com to populate a (laughs) spreadsheet and then give that to uh, Feeding Our Future which gave it to the state and the federal government in exchange for reimbursement. And the feds found that, and, you know, that in their mind is pretty indicative of fraud. Um, They had written a formula for an Excel spreadsheet that would generate a random number between 6 and 17 to reflect ages uh, that would be eligible to be receiving free and reduced meals as kids. Uh, And then they would submit that information to the federal government in exchange for payment. Wow. You know, in some cases, these operations claimed to get going mere days after they got certified to participate in the program, which seems pretty unlikely. And these are complicated programs. It's very difficult, especially during the pandemic, to stand them up. But you saw a number of those named in the indictment where just suddenly they were serving two, three, four, five thousand students a day in ways that the government found to be pretty unlikely. And then at the end of the day, the government was able to follow the money trail and see that some of the funds ended up in the hands of individuals who spent it on a wide array of personal purchases, you know, luxury cars, property abroad, commercial property here in the United States, jewelry and so forth. Uh, and, and, And that's something pretty common we have seen in a lot of pandemic programs, whether it was money to benefit businesses or unemployment payments uh, to Americans who are out of work. There have been a number of instances in which the people who were later caught for defrauding the government ultimately used this and all kinds of lavish stuff, which definitely got the federal government's attention. 
But that being said, I think that there's an open question in Washington about what exactly happened with the Department of Agriculture, which oversees this program. Are there things that it could have or should have done to be more vigilant about the funds that it was sending nationwide? Are there things that states could be doing more? And what does that reporting mechanism look like back to the federal government so that the work for oversight can continue even in the years after the program has concluded? Um, I think beyond that, the issue probably shows that the work to investigate this stuff is so hard and it's going to take so much time. You know, it's just simply not the case that the feds are going to find everything in real time and they're going to be able to bring cases immediately. I mean, this stuff takes months or years, which is something that's increasingly weighing on federal law enforcement officials who say that they need more resources, they need improvements to the law so they can go after the bad guys who preyed on these pandemic funds. I also just think it's so important to remember that this isn't just about wasted taxpayer dollars. And I think that is a thing that people will rightfully be upset about. But there has been so much research about how the problem of hunger among children got so bad during the pandemic and that there were real opportunities there to help kids that were not helped because of this. And I wonder what your sense is from the DOJ of of what they're saying of why this is so egregious and, and who are the real victims here. I think exactly what you said is the issue that the DOJ has raised. You know, every dollar that is misspent, whether it's fraud or some other sort of misuse, is one less dollar available uh, for those who are in need. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a driving thing that we've explored in our series. It's something that the Justice Department is keenly aware of. And when it comes to food security, we certainly saw that in real time. I mean, we all remember the photos of of cars stretched down the street accessing food banks Mm -hmm. with people uh, who were in those lines who had never been there before. They had never needed anything. And that's not to say anything of the fact that we know that there is a child poverty and child hunger crisis in the United States beyond what happened during the pandemic. But I think that your question speaks to some of the other issues that Washington has to wrangle with, which is once we get past the $5 trillion in spending, then what? What sort of changes are made to these programs in a long-term structural way that can both ensure that aid is available to the people who need it while protecting those programs against further fraud and abuse? And in a lot of cases, I think members of Congress and others would tell you that the U.S. government didn't really make a ton of long-term fixes. You know, we did a lot in the short term to address the emergency need, but in other areas, we left programs in their prior states. Once the money ran out and the emergency subsided, many of these initiatives went back to their earlier forms, uh, which is a good and a bad thing, depending on the troubles that they faced. So what are the actual charges against these individuals um, who are alleged to have been involved in this scheme? And what kind of prison sentence could they be facing? Uh, the charge list is pretty extensive. I mean, we see everything from wire fraud to bribery listed um, on the many uh, charges that the Justice Department brought. I mean, it's 47 defendants, but it's spread across multiple indictments here. And from those indictments, obviously, the Justice Department is going to prosecute this in court. It's going to seek prison time for some of these people, potentially. It's already working to recover some of the funds and some of those luxurious purchases that we talked about earlier in the conversation. And the Justice Department seemed to signal that additional charges could be coming, um, targeting other defendants, perhaps, or even outside uh, of this particular scheme as the U.S. government begins to take a look at the rest of the food security program. Tony, you've talked about the fact that in some ways what the DOJ is alleging here is really just the the tip of the iceberg in terms of what we've seen in this kind of fraud during the course of the pandemic. What are the questions that you have going forward about 
similar things that have happened with other areas of the government that were handing out this money. I think one of the challenges the country faces is is just figuring out where the money went. There weren't a whole lot of requirements in the law about reporting how you spent things. And so we have a lot of blind spots about what happened to certain funds, sometimes totaling billions of dollars, because there just wasn't a whole lot of reporting at the time. And some of this dates back to the Trump administration. This was a desire to make sure that the money got out fast and didn't overwhelm businesses and individuals and aid groups with onerous paperwork requirements. But because of that, there's a lot that we just don't know. Um, And it now falls to the federal government to try to find some of that out. And then I think the other question here is, how much of this money is the U.S. government actually going to be able to get back? I think that the feds themselves would acknowledge to you that recovery is exceptionally hard, and it can take many, many years. A decade from now, we still might be talking about some of the stimulus fraud that we and others have uncovered over the better part of the past few months. So there's a lot of work still ahead, and this could just be the beginning of even more headlines to come. The fraud that the Justice Department identified this week is very similar to the kinds of things that we have seen over the better part of the past year in our year-long investigation called the COVID Money Trail. We set out here at The Post to try to figure out what happened to the roughly $5 trillion adopted since the start of the pandemic to see what worked and what didn't, and whether the people who were promised help actually got that help at the end of the day. And in story after story, what we're finding is relatively similar. The money did make a difference for millions of people. It did help rescue the economy economy from the worst crisis since the Depression, but it also opened the door to considerable waste, fraud, and abuse. So there's a lot here to follow. We've documented it so far in about a dozen stories, and we still have more to come. Tony, thank you so much for explaining all of this. Thanks for having me. Tony Rahm is a congressional economic reporter for The Post. He has been investigating the use of federal COVID relief money with our other Post colleagues. That ongoing investigation is called the COVID Money Trail, and we'll put a link to it in our show notes and at postreports.com. This story was produced by Jordan Marie Smith. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Rena Flores. And before we go, we've got something to share. Today is the last day for our editor, Lexi Diao. You have heard her work and her instincts reflected on our show every day. And you've also heard her. Lexi has guest hosted many, many times during breaking news moments and in some of our most ambitious stories. And she's connected with listeners by sometimes sharing a little bit from her personal life. Hey, hockey, it is that time of the spit test. Yeah, it's time for that spit test. Are you ready? Uh, Why? This is how we make sure that you don't get sick. Uh, Okay, ready? Here we go. All right, fishy face. Oh, I have another thing. Keep going. Lexi is an OG member of the Post Reports team and an incredible leader who has done it all on our show. Producing, editing, getting behind the mic, she is the epitome of calm under pressure, with an impeccable sense of the kinds of stories that resonate with listeners. Everything about Lexi has made us better, so it's bittersweet to see her move on to her next professional adventure. Lexi, we love you, we'll miss you, and thank you so much for being a huge part of our show. 
as you would say, Lexi, you are rad right on. I'm Martine Powers, and we'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening.